I want to talk to you this morning, uh, what kind of saviour, what kind of saviour are you serving? How do you look at Jesus? We're camping in, in John chapter 6. Let me explain a little bit about John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is all about the exodus. It is the, it is the beautiful text. You can go online and look at the earliest manuscripts of the beautiful parchment of John chapter 6. And you can see it and it's, it's beauty in the way it was written. And it's there and it's a glorious, glorious ancient parchment uh, that you can, can see. And it deals with the exodus. You see, you have the feeding of the multitudes. You have Jesus walking on the water. You have Jesus teaching that he is the bread of life and you've got people grumbling and moaning because this teaching is too hard for them and they abandon Jesus. Story of the Exodus. It's the story of the prophet. And here in this text, it is announced. Now, last week I spoke about the multiplication of the bread. And, 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 and you can imagine what the crowd would have felt like in John chapter 6. You can imagine that as they looked at this, this, this speaker, this prophet, this amazing Jesus, suddenly they looked and they saw mounds of bread. Who would not be impressed with that? And they were suddenly, wow, this is a sign. This is incredible. Let's, let's, let's declare. And in verse 14, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began, surely this is a prophet who is to come into the world. Look at this individual. Surely this is a prophet. And they started to go, let's do it. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force. The crowd is electrified. They can see the bread. They can see him speaking. They can see his awesome presence. And they can see that this is the man to liberate them from Caesar. This is the man to boot the Romans out. This is the time for revolution. This is the time that actually on that Galilean hillside... This is the time for us to bow the knee and declare, you are the king of Israel. Let's go and deal with the Romans. Let's grab that, um, that, that, that legionnaire's eagle standard that they would often hold. And let's throw that eagle on the ground. Let's stand on it. Let's time for a revolution. We can see revolution all around us at the moment. We know what's, what's uh, taking place in Algeria. A revolution that is taking us as families and people come out onto the streets after 40 years of dictatorship. And there's this little photograph of an old Algerian lady, uh, you know, with a scarf around and all the police are lined up. I don't know if you saw this, this last few days. She walks up to the young police officer and she's just telling him off. I would not want to be that woman's son. And she is like, you should be ashamed of yourself. You, this is for the, the nation, it's for the people. They have stolen the nation. It's time for change. And you're standing there and she is just giving it. That captures the heart. The people want Romans out. People want change. And here is a man with mounds of bread. And we can follow him. We want revolution. And we're going to take it by force, it says. We want it by force. 
Let's change the destiny. Let's change the world. Let's change it right now by force. Let's move on this. But what does Jesus do here? Jesus gently disappears onto the mountainside. And he pushes his disciples, as it were, into a boat. And he sends them off in a boat. And they start to move forward. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat in the evening. It's dark. But a a storm had had come onto the Sea of Galilee. And suddenly the the sea becomes active. And there's uh, this storm and they're afraid and they can feel it. You see, what you have to understand is that within the very psyche of Hebrew thinking, Hebrews were not a great seafaring nation. Not like the Phoenicians to the north. They were afraid of the scene. In fact, although there are some Psalms that talk about the wonders and the glory of the sea, in fact, the way they viewed the the deep and the waters was that it was evil, that it was dark, that it was something to be frightened of, that there's evil and there are uh, uh, lurks in the depths and there was a natural fear towards deep water, towards seas, and towards the environment, because that's where darkness dwelt. And so here are the disciples. They're disappointed, first of all, because they themselves would have liked Jesus to have declared himself as king. They're disappointed. They feel down. Not only are they internally disappointed, all sat there with their, you know, looking miserable, life is tough, I had expectations like this, I thought it would turn out like this, but it's gone completely wrong, it's not turned out the way that I expected it. Have you ever been there? Where you're in the boat of life and it seems... That, that you expected this job, this relationship, this situation to work out, and suddenly it's all gone wrong. And you sat there in the boat of life, and to make it worse, now there's a storm. So only are they, you know, we got oh, disappointed, and Jesus disappeared, and we could have had a revolution. We had 500 men, 5,000 men. 5,000 men are a good start to a revolution. That's a small army. We can move now with his power, but no, no, no. They're disappointed, and then a storm comes up, and they become afraid. And in the middle of this storm, Jesus approaches the boat. Walking on water, they were frightened. They saw him. He says, don't be afraid. He said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. I feel really miserable. I feel, we want a new king. We don't want the Romans. Jesus, we thought you were the king and what's going on? And Jesus stands there on the water, and I love this idea that he stands on the water. He stands on the water that represents darkness, that represents evil, that represents pain. And he says to them, I am the king, but I am a very different kind of king than you will ever know. I am the king. 
I am the king, not of, of a little country, and not just kicking the Romans out. I am the king of all creation. I am the king of kings. I am the lion of the tribe of Judah. When the universe was spoken into existence, I now stand before you on water. I am divine. I am the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And in the middle of your pain, I want to give you a completely different perspective. Because the story is about exodus. I am leading my people to a great exodus. I am leading them. I provide for them in the wilderness. But now even the waters submit to me. Even as the Red Sea parted and that Egypt couldn't contain, nothing can contain what I am about to do. And next weekend we celebrate what he did. See? Don't be. Look at it from a different angle. Look at it differently. And then they were willing to take him into the boat. That's good, isn't it? They were willing. Oh, come on in. Um, they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading, which was Caesarea. And, um, and Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you. And the crowd gathered around him. Well, how did you get here? How did you get so quick? This is amazing. We want you to do this. And the crowd realized, and the crowd followed him to the little village there. And he answered the crowd. He said, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the sign I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. The chapter starts to change here, and it reminds us a very important question. Why are you following Jesus? See, Jesus is saying, you are following me because I have filled your stomach. You are following me because of the material gain. You are seeking me because of what I have given to you materially. But the kingdom of God is not about what we get materially from Jesus. It is about who Jesus Christ truly is. And so often in our faith, we become shallow when we follow Jesus because of what we think we are going to get from Jesus. We follow Jesus because of the material gain. There's even a kind of gospel that is preached that says, you know, when you become a Christian, you will always be healthy, wealthy, and successful. And you will always be this. And there's a kind of material kind of edge to the message that tells us that, that it's about what we can get. Let me tell you something. I do not follow Jesus Christ because of material gain. I follow Jesus Christ because he's the king of all creation. And this is what Exodus wants to, wants to communicate in John 6. It's not about superficially being filled. It's about spiritually being transformed that you know who the divine Savior is. He's not just your provider, but he is your Lord and King. And no matter what my circumstances are, I choose to follow Jesus. 
And that's a tough one. Because when we go through difficult circumstances, it's hard. True? You know, in, in developing world and in, in, in different countries, you know, missionaries I know have worked really hard with groups of people. Then some dynamic group comes into town, giving loads of material gain out, giving this, giving that. And people just migrate. And I've read letters and, and accounts throughout the centuries of... of, of Missionaries who feel so discouraged because the moment something was on offer materially, people abandoned where they were, the relationship, the debt, and just moved on to something else. And Jesus is teaching us if it's just about filling your stomach, there's a problem because there is bread from heaven that is arriving here. It's bread. It's real bread. It's a tough one. It says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternity, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. What he's saying is, what I'm giving you, do not work. It actually means that our salvation means work. The hardest thing I've ever, in one sense, chosen to do and engaged in my life is to work and seek the presence of Jesus Christ as number one in my life. To take seriously my spiritual growth. To take seriously my engagement with the Bible. To take seriously all that Christ has done. To run and go deep into Christ. That all I want, yes, I can chase after the food that spoils, but I want the food that endures for eternal life. In other words, my primary goal of my existence is to know Jesus. That's a massive shift. That's where you go from the shallows to the deep when your primary goal in life is to know Jesus, is to seek Jesus, is to please Jesus, is to live for Jesus, is to luck to be fed, not by the food of the world, if you like, but by the bread of heaven that has come down to this world. And so what do we want? It's the age-old battle that we feel disappointed by the way our life has worked out. We feel disappointed by the circumstances. I think of Job. (laughs) You know, God looked at Job and God said to Satan in the great epic, the great saga of Job, Look at him. He's a wonderful. He's wonderful. And Satan says, well, he's, not, he's wonderful because you're protecting him. He's wonderful. Take away all that he has and then he'll curse you. So the Lord allowed him to take away his possessions. And suddenly a, a, a crowd of what, uh, tribal men came and took all his donkeys. His donkeys had been taken away. And then a great fire fell and killed all his sheep and his servants. And now his donkeys have gone and his sheep have gone. And then a great move has happened and a great 
um, event happened and all his camels were taken away. So he's lost his donkeys, he's lost his sheep, he's lost his camels. But he still serves God. And then a great wind came. And all his family are in one house, his children, and the roof collapses and kills all of his family. God says, look, he's still serving me. Yeah, but you know, you haven't taken away his health, have you? Give me his skin. Give me his skin right now. His skin erupts in boils. It's so nasty and so horrible that he has to get a piece of, of clay, of, uh, of pottery, and start scraping his, his body. It's a, a, dramatic, a dramatic moment, a story of, of, of okay, what's going to happen? It's so bad that his wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. That's some wife. Ladies, no. If you do, there's a marriage class coming up. Curse God and die. Come on. You notice that Satan didn't kill his wife. Left her around. I don't know what to say. So it's a bit of a battle axe. His wife said to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. This is incredibly challenging. Because what it's actually saying is, Jesus, oh my God, is enough, even when my circumstances are bad. Jesus is enough. The bread of heaven is enough. Jesus is enough when things go wrong. Jesus is enough for me. I want Jesus. And what he wants to do is is flip our our viewpoint here, you only come to me because of you want to be filled by bread, but the bread I want to give you will fill you for eternity. It will fill you forever. Am I enough for you? Do we only worship God in comfort? Do we only worship God in good circumstances or do we worship God through the most difficult and the most hard of times or do we give up our integrity? Jesus is saying, I multiply the food, but don't come after me for material gain. Come after me because I come from heaven. I walk on water, all the darkness and all the evil submits to me. I'm a very different kind of king. It's about having a hunger for me. What about Abraham? Abraham. The Lord gave him a great promise. Comes into the land. He waits for his father to die. 
what's the promise? I promise I'll give you a great nation. I promise I'll give you all of this land. It's all going to be yours. Well, I'm an old man and I'm okay. I've got a child now and it's been quite a journey. When is all this going to happen? And the Lord says to him, you can imagine this conversation, in about 500 years. What? In about 500 years? Um, okay, I'm, I'm old, but am I, I going to see this? No. Isaac is going to have Jacob. Jacob's going to have 12 sons. The 12 sons are going to go down to Egypt. They're going to live in Egypt for 400 years. And then they're going to travel through the wilderness. And about 500 years later, this great nation will arrive in the promised land. Abraham, am I enough for you? You're not going to see the promise, but am I enough for you? Am I enough? Not what I've said, but am I enough? And we had this amazing verse that says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Is God our very, very great reward? Is the bread of heaven the greatest reward? Is the presence of Jesus Christ and the work that we do to know him and his presence the greatest, even though material circumstances at times can be difficult, even though physically, even though our donkeys disappear, even though our camels go off, even though we have loss and grief in our life, even though at times we may have physical ailments, is Is he a great reward to me? See, when you can truly look at life and say, he is the greatest reward, then you are no longer superficial in your faith, but you've gone to a depth when it's just about God. And they were like, this is too hard. This is tough. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. What can never be taken away from you is the bread of life. Do you hunger for the bread of life? He's saying, I've come down. Will you feed on me? Will you grow on me? And then he starts to teach this in this little village. And this is too much. The crowd turns away and they start to moan. This is too much. We don't want this. You're talking spiritually. You're talking, are you enough that you, you are going to rise us up? You are gonna, you're going to do this great exodus? You're going to do this great... This is too hard. You're telling me that my whole feeding and my whole focus is on you, Jesus? And then, of course, they said, well, who on earth is Jesus? He's only Joseph's son. They're starting to turn their back on him now. Like they grumbled about Moses in the wilderness. They are now turning their back on Jesus. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. See, so often, 
We want this idea of a kind of, I want to be first, and Jesus helps me get there. It's like, wow, I've had a, I've had a great weekend. Uh, Michelle's been away. <laughs> um, and and with all, all the daughters have gone with her to Vancouver. And, and I got to watch the masters nonstop all weekend while writing this sermon. It is greatly inspired. I don't know what the score is at the moment, but I'm going home soon. And is Tiger Woods going to do it or not? But we want to stand on the podium. We want to wear the green jacket. We want to stand there in our own personal Olympics and say, thank you, I did it so well. And I had the help of my cat, little caddy here, Jesus. He gave me what I needed. It's about the first thing first. What this ties together is this. He says you have to work at this. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the focus of my affection? What is the focus of my life? What is the focus of who I am and is the focus of my life? Everything, Jesus Christ. Is that my focus? And it means that we eat the bread of life and we come to him. And that's an interaction where we learn to be in his presence, where we learn to grow, where we learn to commune with him, where we learn to connect with him. And we have that closeness. This is too hard for them. I can't get to the verses now. But you look at the end of the verses, I like... Time out. I'm gone. Many disciples left him. Many disciples left him. He's saying he's the bread of heaven. He's saying he'll rise people up on the end of times. He's saying he's, a, he's like this Messiah. He's saying this intimacy with the Father. This is ridiculous. And, and they turn and they walk away. And right at the end of that chapter, Jesus looks around and there's the 12 standing there going, well, this isn't going very well, is it? And he looks at them and says, Are you too going to leave me? And Peter says, Where do we have to go, Lord? All I want is you. The most powerful words, I'm not going to leave you. All I want is you. And that's what this is really about. You will be, I'm sure we, life is good to so many of us. But when our, all we want at the end of that scripture is we go, I've got nowhere else to go. All I've got is Jesus. I'm sticking around. And that's where I feel I am in life. I can never imagine me not sticking around Jesus. 
He's so precious, so amazing. Through, through loss, through grief, through pain. Through difficult times. Jesus is sweet. Two sons, Jesus said, lived with their father. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the state. I want my inheritance now. He wants his wealth. He wants his material gain. He wants it all now. The father gives him his half and he goes off to a distant land and there squanders his wealth in wild living. Everything goes wrong. He loses everything. He has no rings. He has no robes. He has no sandals. He ends up in the pig pen. He's dying. He comes to his senses. He says, I will go back to my father and I will say to my father, I have sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He travels back and his father welcomes him back. See, the son has learned... That it's not what you materially have that is so precious in life. It is having the Father, the bread of heaven, that is the most precious thing in life. The Father welcomes him in. What does he do? He says, I'm sorry. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, dresses him in a beautiful robe, brings out a great party and celebrates. He was blessed. But instead of getting it the wrong way round, he got it the right way round. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Through the tough and the good, through the prosperity and through the difficulty, it's about the bread of heaven serving Jesus. It's got to be. And I want to encourage you to put Jesus first. Many blessings come after that. But that's not why. Many goodness comes after. Many provision comes from that. Many multiplications. But it's not that. It's about the focus of our interaction is always in every circumstance. Jesus is enough. Is he enough for you? Father, we thank you this morning for the great chapter of 60 verses of John 6, the depth that takes us from simple multiplication to abandonment and teaches us, Lord, that we follow you because of who you are. And we want to feast on the bread of heaven. We want to focus and do our work in getting to know you. We want to come close to the bread of heaven. Thank you, Lord. Help us all, even in these final moments, to 
rededicate our lives, to get our priorities right, to confess where we've had our wrong expectations, and to lay it all down before you, Lord. Help us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Help us, Lord, I pray. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, in this final song, Maybe you need to rededicate your life. That your priorities have been wrong. That they've been the wrong way round. That you are, it's time to say, yes, I want to do the work to feed on and to get to know Jesus Christ in my life. I want to put him first. Or maybe it's too hard a teaching. Is Jesus everything? Or do you find yourself like the crowd, choosing, am I going to wander or I'm going to follow Jesus? Is Jesus enough for you? Tell him he is enough, if he is enough this morning. Tell him and feast on the bread that comes from heaven. Let's stand together and sing.